Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Sex has power. It has the power to entice. It has the power to build together. And it has the power to tear apart. It is something that God intended for good, our good. For all of us, it's an issue. For many, it's lost its meaning and become a passing transaction. But it can be a good thing again. What power will it have for you? Join us for this honest, straightforward talk about the power of sex. Wrapping up the series we've been doing uh, for the last three weeks called The Power of Sex. I'm going to intentionally try to do something that will make you laugh next week because for the last three weeks you guys have stared at me like a bunch of middle schoolers in health class. Like, are we supposed to laugh now? This is very uncomfortable. I can't believe he would get on stage and say those words. All right, uh, anyway, so uh, the whole point to this series, The Power of Sex, uh, we started it off with talking about how sex has the power to entice. Last week, we talked about how sex has the power to either build or destroy. It is one and the same. It is one power that God has given us. It simply depends upon how, when, and with whom it is used. Incredibly important. So today, we want to wrap up the series by bringing everything home to a place where we fix, hopefully, some things that's been broken by the enemy. Today's topic is restoring the power of sex, because we know this is one of those things the enemy has had a, a run with. It's one of the most um, distorted things from God's original intent. Because of that, I've got someone on stage with me today. Her name is Tricia Kirkland. She is a licensed profession, professional counselor. Uh, she is, uh, spends a lot of time helping people with um, sexual wholeness and healing, and as well as marriage counseling and a long list of other things that she could be very helpful to maybe in your life, depending upon what you face. And uh, as well, Married, husband is a pastor, two kids, and last service she told us her favorite color is blue. So uh, unless you were lying or have you changed your mind, no, is it still I blue? It's blue. All right, there you go. So anything else you guys want to know about Trisha, you can get her business card and pay her to find out. <laughs> That's how that works. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do, we've told you throughout the series, you're, you were supposed to submit questions and we would answer those today. And we also told you we would be trying to take some questions that you would text in during the service. However, we already have so many that those of you that decided to be the latecomers and text in today, yours aren't going to make it. So too bad. We're not even going to put that up. Um, next time, get your questions in earlier if you'd like to have one. However, we're covering a huge array of topics. Chances are your question's going to get hit on in some fashion or another. So we're going to jump right in with somebody picking on me from last week. It says, last week you said that sex before marriage with other people causes it to be crowded in our beds. Once we are married, how do we uncrowd things? This is a very important uh, question. I'm glad someone's asking this to help clarify. Over the last two weeks, we've of course talked about the dangers of sex in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people and so forth and the effects that it has on us. And maybe we didn't get to spend as much time talking about the healing side of things and the restoring side of things. It's important for you to understand that Jesus didn't just die for some sins. He died for everything and he can heal everything and he can fix everything. So, of course, what they're referring to is a passage out of Scripture, out of Hebrews, that says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. And what Scripture is talking about there is not just what bed do you commit your acts of immorality. That's not what that means. What it's referring to is that when you go to your marriage bed, that it can be defiled because of what is in your soul and what is in your mind. And it can become very crowded from your past memories and your experiences and so forth. I talked about that last week. I'm not going to continue unpacking that right now. 
But what I do want to do is help you move forward if you're one of those people, because the majority of us are, to be honest. In this day and age, more people bring baggage into the marriage relationship than do not, statistically. And so I'm going to point you to this. It's out of James chapter 5, and it's a very commonly misquoted verse. Most people read it like this, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you could be forgiven. You're already forgiven. Jesus already died on the cross. But we don't understand the true point of this passage, which is therefore confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. And that's what we're talking about here is getting healing from what you have dealt with. And it continues with the prayer of a righteous, purchase, righteous person has great power as it is working. So I want to point out two things on that passage. Number one is that if you recognize Jesus died on the cross for you and he is your king, then you are therefore seen by God as a righteous person. Your prayers work. He hears your cry that you need healing and that you want to be changed and you want to be washed white as snow from something that had stained you. Otherwise, God hears that prayer. And so then I'm going to back up in the second part is to talk about the importance of that confession side of things, okay? Um, the, the point of confession is that you take something that is in darkness and you bring it into the light. And so it's important that you confess this probably to your current spouse, your soon-to-be spouse, and maybe a pastor or someone like that who can help you get that healing. It says confess and pray for one another. You want to go and talk to someone who can pray for you and pray with you. Again, that's the role of, of a spouse um, if you're engaged, it's important that you know each other's um, history there. And as well, when you confess something, it implies a change of course. It implies that you actually are going to do something to make a change in your life. And so confessing to, to the right people helps them pray with you and become healed. And Jesus has the power to heal. I know you wanted to touch on something on that as well. Well, what I wanted to add is that I've, thank you for inviting me to be here um, and allowing me the opportunity to share some of the stuff that I've experienced, both in a clinical setting, but then also in a pastoral setting. And in regard to this question, what I wanted to uh, add here, and you, you did touch on it, is that it, it isn't better if your spouse doesn't know. I think that's a lie that operates um, in a lot of marriages um, and, and engagements is, well, it's better if they don't know. And I'm here to tell you it's not. Um, when you give yourself completely to someone, it is not just a sexual act. It is an emotional, it's an honest, it's bringing all those together and delighting in one another sexually, which is what um, brings God happiness. He's designed sex for us to enjoy. And we can offer one another a redeemed body. And it is better if your spouse knows. I would suggest if you have a, a, something that you have hidden for a long time, maybe seek counsel on how to best tell your spouse. But you do need to tell. And there is hope. I've worked with many couples who have walked through that road. And um, it, it might not be as bad as you think. Um, it could be. is have repercussions that you don't know about. Uh, we talked about in the first service about the idea of you may need to go get tested for things like STDs because you may not know. They lie dormant. And those are hard things to, to say, like just out, out in the, the beginning here. But, but it's what I do, and I, I work with people who have these heartaches. 
It is so much better to just approach this in honesty, and it's not too late to do that. It's never too late. Yeah, we do this for a living, so we're a little more comfortable just kind of diving in, and you guys might be like, whoo! That was the deep yeah. end of the pool there, but yeah, you know, and I really, it's kind of okay. We're, we're, we're used sorry. to that. So you, you recommend we don't just go home, go have lunch at Moe's today and, oh, honey, by the way, over your burrito, let's talk. No, that's probably not. I, I um, do not. Yeah. I hope that is not what you heard me say. So teenagers, keep in mind, or non-married people, if you want to be a good husband or wife someday, you're going to have to tell your future spouse everything. So you might want to think about that. That'll help you make some choices, wouldn't it? <laughs> Don't do anything you don't want to tell someone about. And then probably more. All right. Number two, is there a free Christian counselor available to help couples who have struggled with intimacy issues? Okay. Uh, first of all, I'm going to answer that question uh, by saying that all of your pastors are free. Uh, that's why we support the ministry of the local church. Local church is here to change the world. That's what we're here to do. And so we're, we're going to do everything we can for you. We do not charge for any of that. However, you need to know that pastors can only do so much. We only took some classes in counseling. We're not a trained licensed therapist. And so there is a huge difference between pastoral advice and someone who is equipped and trained who combines the best of clinical counseling with the Spirit of God, brings those together to help you walk forward. And that's what a counselor does. And crazy as it sounds, counselors have to pay their mortgages. <laughs> So it is not unkind that they, I'm just going to defend you here. You don't have to talk. It is not unkind that they charge for this service. Here's what I run into more often than not in the church is that someone will come in. They're really in trouble. They need a certain type of ministry or counseling. I'll recommend it. And they'll say, oh, but we can't afford it. By the way, can we reschedule next week's appointment? We're going to be at Disney. You're not going to get your life healed with Disney and you know you're going and if not there, you're going to Myrtle Beach or you're going somewhere else. You're going to dinner Saturday night. You saw the most recent movie. We don't live under a bridge. No one here in this room dug through a trash can for your breakfast this morning. And the craziest thing, the dumbest lie that gets planted up here is my money is for my fun. But if I need healing, somebody's got to donate that service to me. I also run into the struggle sometimes people need help and, and their, their schedule doesn't work well with um, a, a schedule like a pastor schedule or something because we also have families as well and don't live in our offices, I know. Um, and uh, minister's wife back there, yeah. <laughs> you may need to take some time off from work as well. You know, you need to get healing. You need to make this a priority. And if you've messed up your life in a certain way, you're going to need to to put effort, energy, resources, maybe money and time into getting healed. Don't give Mickey Mouse your money and then stay trapped. It's just not going to help. So um, free, pastors will do as much as they can. But uh, you get what you pay for sometimes. <laughs> Number three, we're just going to move on. Who in the church <laughs> should a husband contact for help? Being set free from porn, uh, just real quickly, I'll answer here at Grace Life. You could always talk to any one of the pastors, any one of the elders. Um, you could also talk to any one of the men's small group leaders because most of our men's small groups address uh, moral purity some point throughout each group and the, and the struggles that guys are facing. So they're equipped to at least point you in the right direction. So I'll start there and let you finish up the answer. To that. What I want to do with this question is address some um, uh, information that's probably laden in the question that I don't think we should ignore. The question says, who in the church should a husband contact 
for help being set free from porn. Another way that we say it in the church is struggling with pornography. Y'all may have said, oh, well, I have a struggle with pornography or my spouse has a struggle with pornography. Um, that's a little bit uh, vague, and so it's hard to answer a question about how do you help someone who struggles with pornography if you don't define what the struggle is. From a clinical perspective, we're going to view struggles with pornography on a continuum. And we're going to see it in from one side of being abuse down to addiction. And we are going to want to ask questions to the individual and see exactly where they fall on that continuum because interventions are going to be based off what that person says. And so I don't want to misinform you. I don't want you to be calling your spouse a sex addict when they may not be. And then I don't want you to, to like minimize a problem and say, oh, it's just a struggle I do every now and then, when it could be an addiction. If you, if you can't stay stopped and there's a problem, you should seek someone who can help you define what's going on. Um, so, and, and then it says set free. And I think that word... Uh, also is a little bit laden. I would question, what does that mean? Um, I've heard many people say it, and unfortunately what they are implying that, there's, that there is some sort of passive. Um, they are recipients of being set free. Certainly we know from a Christian worldview, from what Scripture teaches, and from everything we sang and affirmed, we are set free and we are no longer condemned. And so that is the truth all around what I'm saying. But I want to say that there, there is a process, too, of being sanctified. And that is a very hard process when you're dealing with something to the extreme of addiction. And the road that Jesus traveled to the cross was not easy. And our road that we travel and he bears it with us is not easy many times. And so when we look at this from um, a, a clinical perspective and you look at it from an addictions perspective, the lead in this country and in, in this research is a guy named Patrick Carnes. And his answer to this question, which is what I'm going to tell y'all is about, it's about a three to five year process. Mm-hmm. It's not quick in the addiction uh, field, if that's what we're talking about. It's going to involve your money. It's going to be involve rerouting your priorities, your schedule, your time. But I don't want to end with just that. I want to say to you, there's so much hope and there are tremendous resources. There are so many things available in the Columbia area, in the southeast of the United States, where you can invest your money and your time and you can get set free, you can, be, you can gain victory from this, and it doesn't have to destroy you or your marriage. Uh, the, the, next, the way I'm going to answer the next part segues into the next question. If this was a wife asking this question, then um, I would say it's the wrong person asking. Yeah, before, before we go on, um, I want to touch a little bit on trying to realign our understanding of a problem with pornography. Um, I don't think we understand what that really means or what it really is. And statistically speaking, of course, that there would be people in the room, um, a large number of people in this room right now, that would have some sort of a struggle with it. And so everybody right now is frozen and not moving, and and I get that. But I want to help us understand something. Um, God made us to be attracted to the other person. God made men to be attracted to the female form. And God made women to be attracted to the male form. And so the 
problem is not with the original intent, not with the attraction. The problem is that we now live in a fallen world. The enemy has distorted that, and it, and it runs rampant, and it's gone beyond what its original intent was. So the idea that your husband can go see a pastor, be prayed for once, and then everything's removed, and he'll no longer look at a woman and think she's pretty, that's just really foolish and, and hard to understand. And so the biggest reason that I see uh, most people struggle with pornography is because they don't understand how to get healed from this. And so I'm going to step out on a little bit of a limb if everybody will not throw things at me until I'm at least finished. <clears throat> you are married to who is supposed to be your best friend. And best friends are supposed to help each other with things that are difficult in life. What too often happens in a marriage when one spouse, especially the male, is caught in pornography, the other one immediately turns to the victim mode, the I've been betrayed mode, the you've hurt me so bad, I'm disgusted by you mode. And I do understand those feelings. I do a lot of counseling. I, I, you know, we, we know what, what is going on. We understand that you do have some right to go there. You have been offended. You have been hurt. Um, a trust has been violated. But sometimes, as Jesus has done himself, it's best if we lay our rights down for the sake of the other person. So, for instance, I was, I've worked with a couple uh, for, for, for many, many years, and there was a point where uh, it had just gotten kind of hopeless. And we had had conversation after conversation, been through a, a program of some sort, and it would be good for a little while, and then it would be bad again, and the husband just really struggled. And so it was not that long ago, um, the wife and the husband were in my office, it was, had gone wrong again, and, and she just sat in my office as dejected and hopeless as anyone I've ever seen. And, and she's, I just don't care. I just, it'll never change. This is my life. So be it. She was totally distraught. She was at her lowest point. And recently, things have completely turned around. So I actually just asked her. It was just a few weeks ago. And I asked this woman, I said, why, why are you so different? What's going on? What has changed in your marriage? I mean, where, where has the victory come from? And her answer was that she went from being the victimized wife who was disgusted by her husband to being his best friend who wanted to help him with a struggle. Mm. And ladies, I know that this is hard to hear from me, but I'll gladly put you in touch with her. <laughs> if it'll help you, um, because what we need to understand is that your husband has taken something that was made for him to be normal and natural for him. The enemy has perverted it. It's a part of the fallen world. And what he needs is a best friend that he can talk to and say, honey, this is a problem. And that you can help him gain victory in that, not look at him and treat him as though he's the devil incarnate, mm -hmm. which unfortunately is the way it happens. I know a true story of a wife who went to a, a husband who went to a pastor, said, I'm struggling with this. They prayed. He said, you need to talk to your wife. He said, I can't talk to my wife. She'll never understand. He said, you've got to talk to your wife. Turns out the husband was correct. He did go home and he talked to the wife and she said, I'm leaving. But I just need your, no, I'm leaving. The pastor called her, said, look, you know, it, it was just, it's pornography. It, he's not had a complete affair. He's very repentant, which is contradictory to scripture's permission for you to leave. And she left anyway, uh, destroyed their family, destroyed the life. She has not done well for the past 10 years after that. The husband, on the other hand, found grace, found forgiveness, and is happily remarried. Because it's something where it's a struggle, and he doesn't need to be strung up as though he's the worst person on the planet. He needs his best friend to understand, walk through this with him, understand it's not going to go away like that. Like you said, it's going to be a process. 
And uh, I'm not giving permission for it. I'm trying to help us understand the road to victory a little better. And I hope that helps. And it does lead into the next question. Is there a counselor slash support group slash resources for hurting wives whose husbands have struggled with porn, comma, please? I guess that's a, a plea for us to create such a thing if we do not have one. We do not have a group, a support group, um, and we will never have such a thing. Because we will never create a group that says as soon as every woman walks in the door, they know what their husband is now dealing with. That would be inappropriate, right? That husband, all of those husbands would never be able to hold their heads high in the church again. Because if there are five ladies in the group, then all five ladies know what those five men are dealing with. And maybe one of those five ladies is not good at keeping her mouth closed. And now 25 ladies in the church know what he is dealing with. We'll never create a group like that. I'm sorry to tell you, it's not a good idea. What is a good idea and what we do is one-on-one, -on -one, when you ask for help, we partner you with a couple who can help. We partner a woman with a woman who has been through it, with a man who has a victory testimony to share, and the couples help the couple. And that is the best way for that to work. And that is what we do, um, and that's what I would recommend for anyone who needs. You want to add anything to that? I do, briefly. There are terrific resources in Columbia available to women who want this type of group. Uh, you can call a variety of uh, counseling uh, services. So where I work has one, and we're not the only place. Where you can go get uh, professional help. I would just suggest for, for any seeking help on this, when you call, ask if they have experience with sexual addiction. Uh, because unfortunately in the field, not everyone is going to have that experience. But yes, if it's not here, as far as getting a support group, yes, there's places you can go. Again, we're answering your question, so it appears this is a common topic. Uh, it says, I am a woman who struggles with pornography. I'm just reading. I'm not a woman, just so you know. <laughs> it feels like I'm the only one. Do other Christian women struggle? Well, why don't you take that one? Um, yes. The answer is yes, emphatically yes. Um, our brains, um, they're... There is a uh, change in our neurochemistry when we start looking at porn and we start acting out sexually. And that is going to be the same for a male and a female. And um, you're creating new neural pathways. And when you do that over and over and over, it does enter into an addiction pattern that um, is just as potent as doing cocaine and heroin because of the stimulant and the relaxing effect that accompany Act, or looking at pornography and then acting out. Um, so it's a powerful force for the man and for the woman. Um, there's not a ton of research done on women because a lot of the, the research is toward men because the porn industry is targeting men. But it only takes looking around at things like Fifty Shades of Grey and seeing that that is the um, fastest selling e-book or e-Kindle or I don't do Kindle books, whatever they're called, and um, paperback novel Women are really into reading erotica. All that is out there, and unfortunately, this is happening at very, very young and tender ages, and it's not um, as talked about, so women feel incredible amount of shame because that's the dirty thing the boys do. And then all of a sudden, oh, that's the dirty thing I do. Who do I talk to? You are not alone. You're not alone. Absolutely. The statistics now have it to where it's, it's almost an equal problem on both sides. The younger that we get, 
the exposure is so easy now with the internet and both um, having homework assignments and so mm -hmm. forth. When we're really talking to millennials and down and teenagers, it's really not a male problem anymore. So those mm -hmm. of you that have thought to yourself, thank God I've got daughters. Um, no, they probably are, are dealing with the same uh, pornography struggles uh, that any son would be or that any male would be as well. So the important thing for you to understand here is that um, it's a little more common for a guy in the church to be able to say, can somebody help me? And it's, it's almost unheard of for a woman in the church to say, somebody, can you help me? And so in her shame, she keeps it hidden and she does not get victory. We have females who serve as kind of pastors to women here. We, we have those roles. We have um, counselors. We have uh, female chaplains. We have women that can help you and talk to you here in our church. And so uh, please do ask for help. Um, again, we don't have time to give you all the help today, but please do ask for help. So, All right, let's change the uh, subject here a little bit. You guys ready for something different? How about this one? What is the balance between not in the mood and meeting the other's needs or desires. I'm going to just introduce the question with obviously the problem that happens sometimes. People use and abuse scripture. Oh, really? Who would have ever thought such a thing? Even Christians. Um, quite often we will take a verse and throw it in our spouse's face. How many of you know this one? Don't raise your hand if you use it. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Now, it is important to understand that is the Bible. Mm -hmm. And there is an intent from God behind that to be saying something. Not necessarily to be thrown in someone's face and abused, but the, the point is very clear. But I think we should balance it with this. I'm going to let Tricia answer the balance. I'm just going to set her up for it. Um, there's another passage that we should look at as well. Romans 12, 10 that says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another. Outdo your spouse in showing honor. So now put those two together and tell everybody what to do. All right. <laughs> in four minutes. Um, all right. This is what I would say. Sex is beautiful. Sex was created by our God to bring him glory. Mm -hmm. uh, sex is something that you can freely take pleasure in with absolutely no guilt for feeling pleasure or thinking about it when you're with your spouse. That is how God designed it. And when it works well, and when my husband and I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling, and we get really excited when we talk to couples about how to make their sexual life thrive. When, it is, when it's done right, you are seeking to outdo the other and showing honor. There is a mutual um, submission and, and giving and receiving. I would say to you that um, if someone holds this question, uh, that, that verse, over your head, well, your body belongs to me, and if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to find it somewhere. That's a very, who, y'all probably have heard that. Some of you have maybe even been told that by mentors, that if you don't give enough to your spouse, they're going to find it elsewhere. That's called or else sex. Um, that can lead to blackmail, at least to fear, at least to a woman feeling like her husband is just some out-of-control sex maniac, and she's got to subdue him by being you know, available 24-7. And that's all a lie that is so far away from what uh, sexual pleasure is intended to be. Um, that is a misuse of this uh, scripture to the extreme. Um, 
you need to talk with your spouse. You're going to have different, um, one thing I know from working with couples, you are going to have different ideas of frequency. You're going to have different ideas of time of the day. You're going to have different ideas of um, what's fun and what's not. And if you do not openly communicate with your spouse and let them know what you love to feel and what you like to do, and they don't share what they like to do, and you come together and talk about, well, what is healthy for us um, in one week? What, how, how many times keeps us healthy? That's good conversation. That's not strange and taking the like, romance out of it. That's just real life. And that's how we protect our marriage bed. That's how we bring the most pleasure to our marriage bed. And so um, it is not okay to withhold sex out of being mad or angry or whatever. You need to allow for your spouse to have a bad day or a headache and whatnot. But you know what? When you have trust between a spouse, there is trust. You don't lose sleep over the fact that she had a headache or he's been really busy at work and has too much stress. You give your spouse grace and you seek to outdo one another in love. Yeah, so the second part of that question, is it ever okay to withhold sex? Um, that's definitely a very complicated issue. Mm-hmm. Um, when trust is violated, when there's a hurt in the relationship emotionally, then obviously there's not going to be a desire for something physically. Yes. Um, and one of the spouses is going to need that time to heal and to restore, uh, to process what has happened in the relationship. And uh, you're going to need to understand that if you're the one that violated that, then obviously whatever drove you to violate that was from the enemy's camp. So you are on a hunger binge, distorted issue side of things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so when you're really hungry, going a little while without food is very difficult, whereas the other person is, is needing uh, lots of time to heal and so forth. It's going to be a challenging season, which the enemy absolutely loves. Mm-hmm. He's like, their only chance to get through this is for one of them to have time to process, heal, restore, and come back together for something beautiful. But the other one is driven. I've already got them on a hook. And they're going to drive it home until the other person is going to be driven away. I bet I've got this relationship in the tank. And that is the way most of this goes because people don't know how to withhold correctly for the right season of time. And the other person doesn't know how to bestow grace because of the situation that they're in. So it is okay to withhold sex for, for like Scripture says, a time of prayer and a time of fasting as mm-hmm. well as for that healing but otherwise, um, it's important for you to understand that, that there really would not be a time to withhold sex, not simply for the um, wanting to get back at you, I'm wanting to be angry at you, or whatever, I just like having power over you kind of thing. All of that would be wrong. And so uh, another thing that Trisha touched on the first service was how um, sex is actually the renewal of the covenant we've made. Mm-hmm. You only have two covenants. I don't know if you know this or not. One covenant is with Jesus Christ. You have a covenant with him. We celebrate that by taking communion. And that's why here at Grace Life, we do it basically every single week because we think it's important to renew a covenant. And so the same concept goes into marriage. The only other covenant you have is with your spouse. And so that is the reason that that should be renewed as often as possible. You know, um, people ask, what is the number? There is no set number as to how many times a week you should be renewing the covenant. But I just remind my wife we eat three times a day. So <laughs> don't shake your head. I mean, seriously, you eat three times a day. So that's, that's all I'm going to say. You know, let's renew the covenant. Let's enjoy being married. 
It's a good thing. Number nine, I'm going to move on before I get in more trouble. That hole actually can't get much deeper, can it? What if my spouse wants me to do things sexually that I'm not comfortable with um, before? uh, Let me just go ahead and touch on this and I'll let Trisha uh, finish it up. Um, Mark Driscoll taught a concept that's wonderful. I've stolen it ever since then, so that's all the credit he gets there. But he talks about how (laughs) sex is going to be one of three things depending upon who you are. It's either God, gross, or a gift, okay? And so usually just the way the world works, most of the time somebody for whom sex was a god, that meant they struggled with things, they had Mm -hmm. sexual immorality, maybe pornography was a part of their past, Having what they wanted sexually was a God to them. They end up getting married to someone who was raised in a perfect little Christian homeschooled environment. And for that person, sex is gross. They were raised in a church where, like you guys, you stare at me because I'm saying the word sex on stage. Like, it's gross. No. And so these two people get married. And so sometimes your spouse is asking you to do something that can come from either really bad things because sex was a God to them. Or you're just unaware of it because sex is gross to you. And so the truth is I can't answer this question just on this. Your spouse may be asking you to do something that's out of bounds and off limits and inappropriate or has inappropriate origins from uh, pornography and and other sorts of things. And and I can't say, well, you just got to go. They should not ever want that again. On the other hand, I can't just say, well, you think sex is, is gross, And so, therefore, you just need to do everything your spouse wants because you just have a a prudish attitude. It would be hard for us to sit here and just judge not knowing what it is, but that really is the case, is you need to judge, is sex for you a God, and where is your question coming from? And is sex for you gross, and where is your resistance coming from? Of course, the correct answer is when we understand sex is a gift from God, and we both get the most out of the gift that God intended. I might have stolen a lot of your answer. I'm sorry. I think that's sufficient. Yeah. So, all right. Um, I'm going to just wrap it up by, by throwing out something that I deal with in my counseling that I want to be able to ask her to touch on before she leaves. I have a lot of folks that will come to me, mm-hmm. and um, I have struggled with sexual abuse as a child. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the devastating thing here is the enemy got into their life mm-hmm. when they were young, when they were vulnerable, And when they were nothing but a victim, and yet somehow they still end up traumatized, and their sex life is still broken, what would you say to people who are struggling with sexual abuse? I'm sorry. Absolutely. Um, It's devastating, one out of two women, one out of three men. And so I think everyone sits in company if you've been abused. Um, The shame is horrible. And it leads you to hide and to never want to speak out. And the enemy sees it, and he attacks it, and wants to destroy your whole understanding of sexuality. Um, there, again, I've, I've said this, I guess, a couple times, there is such good help. I would encourage you, if you've been um, violated sexually, to talk to someone. It's a hard road, um, but it is one that is full of redemption. I think about um, in Jeremiah where they're wanting to cover up the sins of people, and they say that they, they put um, linens over the wound and said, peace, peace, when there's no peace. And I think that's what sexual abuse victims were taught to say their whole life. Peace, peace, but there is no peace. And 
there is um, peace on the side of truly walking through, taking off false bandages, looking at the wound and seeking healing. Your spouse could potentially be your biggest advocate Mm -hmm. and bring healing into your life like you never imagined. And one of the things when I work with abuse victims um, or survivors, I'd rather say that, abuse survivors, is that when they can get to the point, and it's so doable, when they can enter into the bedroom and enjoy sex again, then sex becomes a war cry that pierces through the darkness and says to the enemy that he didn't win. And it's amazing when you can come and you can see sex in that manner. He didn't win. There's hope out there. There's really good hope. And I hope that you'll seek it out. So the point of this series has been to help us take back something that the enemy has either taken from us or at least destroyed or at least tried. And that is God's intent for human sexuality, to bring unity with that one other person, our spouse, that he connected us to. To find pleasure in that, to build a covenant and an exclusive union. That's what God intended. We've designed this series to help us understand that sex is not bad. God invented it. Seriously. But it is also incredibly powerful. And it totally depends upon how we use that power. So throughout the series, it's allowed us to confront things if necessary in our thinking. We've intentionally tried to help you know, let's, let's turn a direction. We've intentionally tried to help you develop godly convictions about what sexuality is supposed to be and how it's supposed to be used. And then most of all, we want to help you and have tried to help you restore what's been lost or broken. We didn't say it in this service, but Trisha informed me, I didn't know this in the first service, that the, the number one Google search re- pertaining to marriage is actually about living in a sexless marriage. So I know that we're all frozen and we're in church, but again, if one out of every two women and one out of every three men have some sort of abuse in their childhood, then if we know the statistics on pornography and then if we know the statistics on sex before marriage and then if we know the statistics on a sexless marriage, and we just do the math of who's in the room. We need help. This series was not for shock value. And I don't think there was anybody. There might be one rare couple in the church that just grew up on an island or something strange. I don't know. That, that maybe didn't need this series. I think we needed this. But I don't think we're done. I want to encourage you to take the next step. Go and get help. Talk to a pastor. Ask Trisha for a business card if you need to. Let's get the help we need. Let's get our marriages back the way they're supposed to be. Let's protect ourselves for our future marriage if that's where you are. But let's keep, let's get, let's protect what God intends for us to have. That is why we've done this. And so our hope for you is that you will experience the power of sex that God intends for you all throughout your life. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to close by talking about something else God intends for you. God intends for all of his children someday 
to walk and talk with him. Just like it was originally intended. Y'all see how that always works? God's original intent. We'd walk and talk with him in the garden. And that's been lost and that's been destroyed. But God wants to get it back to where we have a future with him face to face. But see, here's the problem. He is an absolutely perfectly holy God. So perfect it can't be measured. And then unfortunately, we are not perfect and that can be measured. But that's what Ryan talked about during communion. Is that measure, the list of all of our imperfections, our unholiness, that list was nailed to the cross in the form of Jesus' body. And the way that you can have that fellowship, that original intent that God has for you, that you can have eternity with Him, is when you look at Jesus on the cross and say, because you died for me, I want to live for you. It's a little more than just, oh, can I get a free ticket out of hell? No, 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 it's about living your life for His glory exchanging the life you've been living for your own glory for one for his glory if you've never had that conversation with him or for today for the first time it's more real to you than it's ever been or you thought you were but you really weren't whatever wherever you are i want to help you right now and i'm not going to embarrass you you don't have to stand up or do anything weird we're going to pray right where you're seated would you join me everybody let's just pray and if this is you say lord jesus i thank you for your love for your mercy, for your forgiveness. I thank you for taking my place and dying a death so that I could have a life eternal. I thank you that all of my unholiness has been nailed to the cross and will never again be waved in my face. And my simple hope in this place today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen and amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.